This is the Serial at Midnight Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Serial at Midnight Podcast. My name is Heath Holland. And this week we're talking to Jimmy Hunt, former child actor Jimmy Hunt. You know him as the star of Invaders from Mars, the original 1953 sci-fi classic that scared the pants off an entire generation. It's a nightmare of a movie. Uh, it's been recently restored, and there's a new Blu-ray, there's a new 4K out, and that is what opened the door for this conversation. But I wanted to talk to Mr. Hunt about his mini early Hollywood experiences. This is a direct connection with someone from the golden age of Hollywood. He has first-hand accounts of uh, so many different experiences. I, I start this interview by reading off a list of some of the people that he worked with in his very short... Guys, we're talking about a short career. He retired at 14 from acting to go live a normal life. Uh, so from the late 40s into the early 50s, he worked with a variety, like dozens, you guys, dozens of of, uh, of stars. Robert Mitchum, Ronald Reagan, future president of the United States. It's all on in the interview. Uh, first-hand accounts of what it was like to work with these people. And you know what else comes through in this interview is that Jimmy Hunt saw a UFO. The, this, I couldn't believe it. The story is in this interview. It's towards the end, so that's an excuse to not bail early. Uh, I, I could not, I asked the question. I was not expecting the answer that I got. Jimmy Hunt saw a UFO and he remembers it very, very clearly. What a privilege, what a treat to be able to interview an actor, a performer from the golden age of Hollywood. Invaders from Mars is now on Blu-ray and 4K. I'm going to put a link in the description of this episode so you can find that. I want to thank, uh, the people behind the Invaders from Mars restoration and this release, Ignite Films and the team there that, uh, facilitated things to make this interview happen. This is not just about Invaders from Mars, though that is, of course, talked about. This is about Hollywood. This is about really paying respect to somebody who has seen and done an awful lot and has great memories. So without further ado, Mr. Jimmy Hunt. Southern, you stayed in Southern California after you left the biz? Oh, yeah. I never, yeah, right. Stayed right in the Bay Area, South Bay Area, you know, Santa Monica, Culver City, that area. And then, then we moved down. Uh, Eventually, we moved out to Simi Valley, which is about 40 miles uh, northwest of Los Angeles, and uh, it's where the Reagan Library is. So yeah. I'm about 20 minutes from the Reagan Library. Wow. And it's kind of cool because I made a movie with him. He was my dad. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, see, that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you about. I've actually got a list here, and, and uh, I'll just... I mean, so you were born in 1939 and you like, we're going to say you retired from movies in 1954, right? Like right. I think the lot. Yeah. So um, in that span, you know, like from like 47 to 54, you appeared in movies that also starred Barbara Stanwyck, Robert Mitchum, Dick Powell, Elizabeth Scott, Jane Wyatt, uh, Claudette Colbert, Fred McMurray, Bean Crosby, Ronald Reagan, Piper Laurie, Joel McRae, Tony Curtis, Mamie Van Doren. I mean, this is like a walking, uh, there's so many A-list stars there, right? And you wouldn't have, they, I don't know that as a, as a kid actor, as a child actor, you would have known, or did you, were you like, holy cow, this is Joel McRae? Or like, you know, did you see the greatness of those actors at the time? No, my parents had to explain who they were to me. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, and, you know, Bing Crosby, everybody knows Bing Crosby because of White Christmas and those kind of things, but but uh, 
No, you know, some of them I I didn't know who they were, and I didn't, and in re, and later on in life, as I learned more about them, uh, it was kind of exciting because I thought, gee, I didn't know that you know that uh, Dick Powell could sing and dance and do those kind of things, and some of those people were most of those people were really talented. Yeah, yeah. And of course, in those days, that's when the movies, or that's when the studios. Uh, actually created a star. I mean, you know, if you were one of the big guys, I mean, you were, they they made sure that you stayed on the straight and narrow and everything went right. And mm -hmm. yeah, oh yeah, you didn't want to, they didn't want to tarnish their image either, so. Mm -hmm. I just have to imagine it's surreal to be, maybe you're flipping through the channels and you're like, Oh, I was in a movie with that guy, you know, or or the president, right? Like Ronald Reagan becomes president. You're like, I, I worked with him. It is. I mean, I, every once in a while, I'll do that. I'll be going, oh, I, got, I worked with him and I worked with him. And then you go on another play, another movie and you go, hey, and I worked with him and him, you know, and, or her and her, you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's at the time you don't realize it. Right. You just go and do your thing <laughs> and what they tell you to do. In my, you know, that was what for it as a child actor. I mean, you know, I had no training. I just was, at, you know, at the right place at the right time, so to speak. Uh, I had freckles, curly hair, uh, looked like Van Johnson as a young boy, and that's how I got the part. Did you want to be an actor, or was it something? You know, we hear a lot of stories now about how parents push their kids to the forefront, right? Is this something you wanted? Uh, no, I didn't want it, and my parents didn't want it. It was just something that happened. Wow. I mean, I, I made that movie, you know, uh, uh, High Barbary, which is with the, the story, you know, of my playing the part of, of Van Johnson as a little boy. Mm -hmm. Made that, and then next thing I know, I, you know, I was there at MGM. Uh, they said, "Well, we have another movie here. We'd like to have you be in," and that was Song of Love with uh, Catherine Hepburn, and uh, and so I played in that one and then they had another one <laughs> and it just started to go from there and so no we, we didn't have any any inkling or any idea or even a thought of me being in movies so as this is happening though as one project leads to another which leads to another are you enjoying the process or are you just kind of like, well, I'll do this next one and then I'll get out. Or how do you feel about it at the time? And it, it, it didn't, I don't think I even thought about it at, at that point. It yeah. just, it happened. And, and the nice thing about it was the fact that I got to go back to school after the movie was done. Mm -hmm. so I didn't interrupt my real life, so to speak. And in my real life, we, we were just kids. We were, I lived uh, not about six blocks from MGM. and. Uh, in a you know middle class home uh had great parents my mom and dad were the best and my dad was by far the best dad that ever lived so uh you know we, it, it was just good i mean good and i played with all my friends and uh you know during the summertime if you i wasn't making a movie i'd wake up in the morning and uh grab a bite to eat quick and out the door and i didn't come back until you know the the light went on uh at about six o'clock you know so mm -hmm. we just played we, we, that's what we did we just had fun did, so did it, it sounds like your 
professional career, it sounds like acting or appearing in movies did not necessarily affect your friendships and your relationships with your peers. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. No, I still had good buddies and and even all the way through until when I retired. I mean, at 14. I mean, that was one of the reasons I retired was the fact that I uh, was into sports, wanted to play uh, football and baseball in high school, and I couldn't do that and do acting. Mm-hmm. And so, hey, I gave up acting. <laughs> how did so, it go? How did the how did the athletics go? Uh, you know, hey, I was okay. I mean, I was all right. I mean, I played and got to be on the field, and uh, I was okay. Uh, I can't say that. I mean, my two sons are much better athletes than my, I am, but. Uh, and uh, and then my grandson is even better than they are. So wow, yeah, he's up at he's up at Berkeley on a, a track scholarship. Wow, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So anyway, no, it it was it was. Uh, I love sports at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I was as a kid. I can remember you know laying in bed uh, late at night. It was my little radio turned down as much as I could so nobody could hear it and listening to the and I didn't realize it at the time but it was a replay of the Dodger of the Brooklyn Dodger uh baseball games you know with Jackie Robinson and all the, all, all those guys mm-hmm. so uh yeah no I, I like I said sports was a big thing in my life and uh, uh they still are um and and I and giving giving that up or giving my movie career up to be in sports was it was the right thing to do. I mean, it was, it all worked out perfect uh, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There were times when you look and you, I can remember as what, uh, 18 year old, 17 year old. And uh, hoping that my parents uh, for Christmas was, <laughs> they were going to make my wish come true. And I ran out to the garage and looked and uh, my old my old uh, hot rod was still sitting there and it wasn't the 57 Corvette that I thought might be there. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was my, you know, that was my dream thing is to have a 57 Corvette. So. Did you did, ever get one? No, never got one. You never and, got one. Oh, well, you know, and it's true. And I look back now and I think, oh gosh, you know, it kind of changed from 57 Corvette and back to like a, 1962 63 Porsche Carrera mm. and but in those days I mean you could I could have gotten those for so cheap mm-hmm. and now you have to pay like a hundred thousand dollars for them yeah yeah it was different back then you could have these I mean it's not that they weren't cheap but they weren't what it, the 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 <laughs> the cost of those at the time doesn't translate to what it is now it was you could make it happen if you wanted to yeah, no, I could have, I could have happened. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. but no. And so it, you know, that's how it went. It just went, and my movie career, like I said, it. In between being just a regular kid, I made movies, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think uh, as I look back now, you know, we we did an okay job of of, of you know the, they were okay, they weren't bad. We you know. I look and I, sometimes I criticize myself when I watch the movies, you know, uh, at home and I go, oh man, I could have done better than that. Or was that very good? And, and I, you know, it, it worked out good. 
Yeah. Well, it sounds like you weren't necessarily, I mean, you never had career aspirations for it. You were kind of just enjoying it as it came. So. Yeah. And that's exactly how it went. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And I, and, and I look back now and I was pretty busy. I mean, I, I look back and I made 42 movies. Mm -hmm. So in that shorter period, you know, that was, I was moving right along. I mean, yeah, some of the parts weren't huge, but some of them were, you know, some were pretty good. I mean, you were in more movies in that short span than some people have spent their whole lifetime pursuing, you know? I mean, you have a nice resume and it was just a short period of time too. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you, how do you feel now? So the thing that's opened the door for our conversation is this, the restoration and the release of the, uh, the original Invaders from Mars, which is, it's gorgeous. I know you got to see it and present it on like a big screen showing. Uh, it's wonderful. How does it feel after all these years to be talking about this movie again, to be doing publicity like we're doing right now, like doing interviews? Is it surreal? What's the experience like? It's fun. That's it's, great. It's, now it's fun uh, because, you know, I don't, my, my livelihood doesn't depend on it. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just a fun thing to do. Uh, my granddaughter Haley uh, is kind of my we I call her my manager, you know, and and she 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 does a fantastic job. Uh, I mean, she's going to have a career in the uh, the movie entertainment business, and 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 like I said, she's she's doing good. I mean, she really is. she just does a great job, but. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a fun thing to do, and it's and we're enjoying it while we can. I mean, I didn't think when the, I didn't think that I'd ever be talking about Invaders from Mars seventy years after it came to this big screen. I mean, it's been seventy years now, <laughs> you know, and yeah. so <clears throat> half of, you know everybody but myself and uh, Janine. Perot, I guess I don't. That's not her last name now, but uh, right, we're the only two that are still left. Mm -hmm. Well, you worked with uh, with Janine. You also worked with her sister Gigi, oh, Gigi. Um, a oh, lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, she she stayed in it. Movies with her. How many? Six. Six. Uh, I know she stayed in it. She stayed in. You know, she she uh, she was that. Wasn't she the drama teacher for uh, Meghan Markle? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, That's could, what I heard. Yeah. Could be, you know, and she's now, she, I guess she just moved to uh, Atlanta. So I didn't know that. Yeah. that's. I Did think. you guys keep in touch? Did you keep in touch with the Perot sisters over the years? Oh, not really. I mean, you know, uh, it was, a, it was a kind of a fun thing uh, back in 2012, I think. Uh, the, uh, I'm trying to think of which award that they gave to me. It was uh, one of those uh, uh, career achievement award things that I got from, the, I think, Southern California Movie Council or something like that. And okay. It was a, it was a really nice award, and the people were super great there. But uh, Margaret O'Brien was going to be the person that was going to present it to me. And uh, she had to go somewhere, so they got gigi to come and do that for her and that was kind of fun because gigi was of course the first person i worked with in movies on you know i barbary mm -hmm. and uh 
So there we were, you know, uh, got, got to see her after all those years. And, uh, and it was kind of fun to just reminisce and there she was with her children and I, I was there with mine and, and uh, it was, it was fun. So, yeah. It, we, so then after that, we kind of, every once in a while, we'd uh, email each other or, you know, text and, and do a couple of things, but it, it, you know, it, I kind of, there was, there was two lives. There was the one that was the Jimmy Hunt deal. And then there was the other life that was the Jim Hunt life. That was the real life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how it went. And my friends that I had on either side accepted me. You know, yeah. I mean, if it, was, if it was Jimmy Hunt, that was okay. And, uh, I, ha I made some good friends there. I mean, one of uh, the one person I did keep in contact a little bit with was Joel McRae. And because he uh, he uh, had a ranch right right out here, out of Simi Valley here in Thousand Oaks. And, and so uh, I've, uh, I've, I went up there, you know, when I was a kid, I went up there and met his family and, and uh, spent the day with them and and then uh, also uh, just recently we did a, a thing uh, with for uh, a tribute to Joel McRae. And so I was there with his grandson, Wyatt uh, McRae. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to do another thing here, I think, in, Ju in June or July or something. That, that Yeah, another deal up there at the ranch. Wonderful. But yeah, it's, so it's... And that was he, and Joel McRae uh, by far was the, uh, my favorite person that I played movies in. Do but, you have stories about, you know, any, any behind the scenes stories that you might remember that stand out for you about him or about, see, the thing well, is about, about Joe yeah, or anybody else that you worked with. The, yeah. the thing is these, these people are gone now and all we have are the stories and you right. having worked, but I know you were more interested in the behind the scenes people. I mean, I know that, but you, it's an opportunity, right. To, to talk about, I mean, Joel McRae, Fred McMurray, you know, like he seemed the thing that impresses me about Fred McMurray is he could be tough. Right. I mean, he's got the noir films, but he was also, okay. I mean, he, he was also so, he seemed so nice. And he was nice. He was one of my, I have favorites. Uh, and, and, and it's, of course, the number one is Joe McRae. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have Fred McMurray, you have, uh, Glenn Ford, Glenn Ford. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, others down the road, but those were sort of my favorites. And, you know, Ronald Reagan was, was good to me. You know, I, mean, I, I have no... Keith, I have no uh, stories that I can tell where anybody abused me, anybody gave me a hard time. Any, you know, at some of these young kids, uh, you know, and they, and they you know, like, I guess it was a Paul Peterson, I guess, or someone, but some of these guys have got some real horror stories. And mm -hmm. oh, I had, I had nothing but good stories. I That's mean, great, good, though. That's oh, a yeah. Uh, you know, the one thing I remember, uh, made a movie uh, called Weekend with Father with uh, Van Heflin and uh, Patricia Neal and Iggy Perot and, and Janine. And uh, in a 
in a scene that we made, uh, it was a sack race where uh, I was going to be along in the sack with uh, Van Heflin and we were hopping along and they said, no, I'm not stop. We're going to take this over again. And so instead of getting out of the bag and walking back to the starting line, we hopped backwards. And as we were hopping, of course, Van Heflin's a pretty big, good-sized guy. And I'm in the back and we're bouncing and all of a sudden we start to go down. <laughs> and so what happens, of course, actually, I put my hand, my arm out to break the fall. Well, it broke my arm. <laughs> so there yeah, so anyway, uh, uh, they had to, uh, they rigged up a, a special uh, sling that was, that kept my arm kind of against my side. And I was out for probably maybe, you know, maybe a week, week or two, because, you know, the studio really made sure that everything was right because they didn't want any lawsuits or anything yeah. like that, you know. So yeah, I had my own special nurse and a, and a, a masseuse that came in, and, and so at uh, like twelve or twelve years old, you know, your <laughs> life wasn't too bad. Uh, anyway, uh, so and then he, what happened was he felt so bad. Van Heflin felt so bad that he, he had fallen upon me and broke my arm. And so he he, he had them. Uh, he bought this model airplane. And uh, took it to the studio there and had the guys assemble it and everything. And they painted it a special painting, you know, paint with flames on it, you know. And I mean, it, it was gorgeous. <laughs> and so I took it on, you know, of course. Uh, it, it was it was great. We'd get out there and my dad and I would play with the engine and get it going. And then we went, I took it, I took the plane up to Colorado when I was on location on for, for Lone Hand. And we got it out there in this big field and uh, was gonna fly that thing and took off and it was doing pretty good. And then, I don't know, maybe I screwed up or something, but we crashed it. Oh no. <laughs> yes, we crashed it and it burned. <laughs> no, it didn't oh, burn. Oh no. Yeah, we crunched it, yeah. So, but that wow. was that was a story. Uh, another story was the fact that uh, with uh, Fred McMurray and, and Claudette Colbert, we uh, there was a, a scene in there where myself and Gigi, who was in that movie, and her brother Peter Miles, or uh, he uh, he had a cry scene where we had to come into the room and we're crying because they're they're kind of having a big tiff and they're going to split up and they're, just, they're on their honeymoon and, and we feel that we've messed it up. And so we come in and we're crying. And so that scene, it, it seemed like, I don't know why it took so long to do, but we, I guess there was a, other things going on, but anyway, it seemed like we cried all day long. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's only one, uh, crying is, is easier than laughing. I found that out. Really? Yeah, because to really have a good laugh and to make it really be realistic, there's there's just a few people that can do that in Hollywood. And I can't remember some of their names, but uh, if I see him on the screen, I can say, yeah, there, that guy, oh, he can laugh. Um, 
Yeah, so crying is you you just got to get yourself worked up to the point where you have something in your mind that makes you cry. <laughs> like you thought know, about that model plane bursting into flames, didn't you? Oh, okay. no, no, I thought about, I thought about a dog <laughs> that died. But yeah. but on this thing, uh, Gigi and her brother and myself, what we would do is we'd go in off, you know, in the other room off stage and and uh, we had we made up a story about a little girl with a with a, a a little pony and and the pony died and she goes to the grave and and so <laughs> we just keep adding on to that story wow. and keep crying the whole day. So you know what's interesting about that is that you you came up with that yourself. We hear so many stories about how uh, maybe directors or somebody comes up to the kid and they're like, hey. Uh, your mom said she's leaving and she's never coming back or something terrible like that to get the kids worked up. So you had the, you were self-motivated to get yourself there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think it was more uh, Peter's idea because of the fact that he was older than the, uh, the, you know, myself and Gigi, but, yeah. uh, but we added on to that story. And, and then there was another one where I cried in uh, a cheaper by the dozen where at the, the at one ending scene there where, dad dies and the girls come home and they come up the sidewalk and I'm sitting out there on the sidewalk with the housekeeper, I guess. And they come up and, you know, Annie, our daddy's dead, you know? <laughs> and so I had, and so what they did is they, they had this really neat old electric car, I don't know, 1920, whatever, you know? And uh, they said, well, if you don't, you, you cry during this scene, we'll, we'll let you ride in that car. Oh, okay, cool. I can do that. So then what I did was <clears throat> my dad had gone back to uh, Kentucky to open a plant for the company he was working for. And uh, so he had been gone for a couple months. And I told everybody, oh, yeah, I, 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 I thought about my little puppy dog that died. Well, it really wasn't that. I thought about my dad dying in a plane crash and uh and since we were the best of friends and you know that he was my my best buddy hey my my dad was my best buddy i mean he we did everything together and so uh yeah so that was the reason i cried on that one wow but, that's something yeah um do you so invaders from Mars, you know, this, it scared the pants off of people when it, especially when it came to television, I, I hear stories about, well, even on this, even on this disc release, there's stories behind the scenes about these people that would, they, you know, they, it, they, it horrified them. The, I mean, it's a nightmare of a movie. It's kind of a, it's kind of a nightmare. The movie is a nightmare in a lot of ways. Um, did you at the time. It probably wasn't scary on set, right? Because you're seeing you're behind the scenes and they want to take care of you. And I know that, you know, you got to work with Max Palmer and Locke Martin and looks like it was a pretty nice set. But, yeah, yeah. you know, were you aware at the time, like, oh, this is something that's really this could be scary? No, that was, okay. you know, and, and, and I tell you why. I mean, I had to ask. I said, you know. uh why, you know, why are the trees all painted black and there's no leaves on them? And why is, you know, why is the door in the police station, you know, 20 foot high instead of just a normal, you know, mm -hmm. eight foot or whatever, you know, 
you know, and, and so you know they they had to explain to me that it was sort of taken from the little boy's point of view and it's a and it's a dream mm -hmm. and they, so you got this nightmarish type thing where you know in dreams and i don't know about you but a lot of times if you have a dream you see something and you see you don't get to see the details mm -hmm. you just see the overall picture of it and and that's kind of what this was. I mean, you know, you got to see the hill that ended. You got to see, you know, the sand opening up and closing. The music, you know, come, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and, and, and that was one thing that I didn't realize that that was one of uh, Steven Spielberg's most favorite, you know, his favorite movie. And he wanted to do the remake, shucks. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, nothing against Toby Hooper. I mean, he did, you know, but it just, I think if Stephen would have touched that thing, it would have been a, yeah. a good line. Well, it yeah. would have had a lot of heart to it. It would have had a lot of, you know, he was so great at making that, uh, especially in the 80s, of making, bringing that like suburban, every every kid, every family kind of story to life. Like you felt you know, you, you felt like you were there. You were really good at putting yourself in the movie because of him. Yeah, yeah. And and so um, it, it was, um, I'm kind of lo lost my train of thought right now about where I was going to go with this. What are you talking about? How, how it, was, it was a nightmare and you were asking oh, yeah. why things are oh, yeah, exaggerated. Yeah, oh, thanks. Yeah, you know, and so, yeah, I never realized that people with little kids would see it a little bit different. Mm hmm and and it was and it was scary to them because all of a sudden their mom and dad turned to be evil people and everybody around him nobody would listen to him and they were turning out to be the bad guys and here he was this poor little kid all by himself trying to rally the troops so to speak saying come on you know there's something out there and nobody's believing him and uh and I think little kids kind of saw that and they're thinking, geez, could that happen to my mom and dad? And, mm -hmm. and you know, and so I, I, you know, I never, like you said, my being part of it, it wasn't scary to me. It was just, it was just a lot of work because we made that movie in like three and a half weeks. Wow. And I mean, nowadays, I mean, you know, you can't even get one scene done in three and a half weeks, you know, but I mean, but it no, was and just, you were in almost every scene too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and I, and I never worked so hard in my life. <laughs> what kind of days were they? Were they like 12 hour days, 16 hour days? Oh, you can't, as a kid, you can't, you only have certain hours you can work. Okay. So they did adhere to the laws that oh, yeah. like child labor. Okay. You have to do that. And okay. you have three hours of schooling and you'd get that. 15 minute increments but anyway you get it yeah um and that was another thing too of you know having a teacher on the set and having school right there sometimes people say well did you ever get did you get a good education and i'm saying yeah i, I got a really good education because as a kid and you're in and when you're going to a regular public school and you know the is there, are there any questions the teacher asks? And 
you don't want to raise your hand and be a you know the dummy. Yeah, I don't understand what you're saying. You know, you know, no, you just be, you're just quiet, and you hope like heck that when you go home that night, maybe you can do the homework and you'll find out what what it's all about, and or you just let it go. And and there I had, there was a teacher, there was me. If I had a problem, I'd say, you know, I don't understand what it, what what's this, and she would explain it to me. So now I had a private tutor, so to speak, and I. I didn't realize how good that was until, like I said, I got into high school and all of a sudden, you know, now I don't have the private tutor anymore. <laughs> yeah. And well, so if it didn't scare you, what I am curious about is what did scare you? Do you remember what scared you at that time? Universal monsters maybe, or. Uh, uh, it, the a couple of movies that scared me. Uh, one was called the man from planet X. I don't know why that scared me so much, but it's I like a mask sort of a threat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like a breathing apparatus type thing on it. And he was in that spaceship and they couldn't scratch it with a diamond and all that. And it was made out on the moors of England. And, yeah. and you know, so I, uh, that one was a, one that scared me. Uh, another one was called the thing. Scared, scared me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. scared me. I remember uh, we went and saw that movie and we were coming home with my friend and myself and it was probably around eight o'clock at night and it was starting to get dark and we came to a point where I lived a block over from him so we had to separate at a point and I went go to my block and go down. Uh, we separated and as we were still in, you know, each other's eyesight, you know, everything was okay. But as soon as we couldn't see each other, I know both of us took off running <laughs> and you're, you're running as fast as you could go because you knew somebody was going to be right behind you and grab you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I can remember that happening, you know, when you're a kid and you had to take out the garbage, of course, we didn't have garbage disposals in those days. So you had to take the garbage out to the garbage can. And it was out by, by the side of our garage. And I can remember walking out there and knowing you dumped the garbage. And as you're walking back, you know, just as you put your hand on the back door, somebody's going to grab you. And so that was always that scary moment too. But yeah, you know, I, it's, those were some of the movies that, uh, scared me yeah did did any as you got further from your movie career did it become you know like your high school and people like oh i know you was did that happen from time to time it happened to me a lot yeah uh because uh i went into um after i got i went into this well let's, let's put it this way i i graduated from high school and uh went to junior college. I, I, I was gonna to go to the University of Colorado, but uh, you know, I, I don't know, I got frightened and decided not to go because I didn't know anybody. And uh, so I went to, to junior college at Santa Monica City College and uh, went, uh, had I've spent two years there in the engineering program and uh, 
went out for went out for baseball and football there. Found out that uh, I was okay in high school, but that was the next step up, and the baseball players got much better. And then I went out for the football team, and I was kind of probably maybe second, third string uh, defensive back, uh, wide receiver. Uh, and all I could see was myself, you know, kind of like the Rudy film, mm -hmm. just getting beat up every, every day at practice. And, you know, maybe, maybe seeing, you know, a moment or two in a game. And I thought to myself, you know, Hey, this isn't worth it. <laughs> yeah. This is not worth it. And, um, uh, so myself and a, and, a, and a friend that I had made in college, uh, who turned out to be my uh, my brother-in-law now. Wow. Um, we uh, we went down and and joined the army, and uh, went into uh, a program called the Army Security Agency, uh, which uh, we intercepted and broke code. And so uh, I was stationed in Germany for three years and uh, had, a, had a great, great time there and met my wife. And we just recently celebrated our 60th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Thanks. Appreciate that. She's a great woman, uh, left, her, whole, left you know, her country, her family, and came to the United States and uh raised a family here for me and and she's uh, she's a great lady that's wonderful and, and really, so had she seen your movies did she know who you were at the time no she didn't have any idea <laughs> matter of fact she's she's impressed she thinks i did an okay job but you know now as we see some of these movies it's the first time for her to ever see them so yeah well, you were great in these, but I want to say this. You were great. I understand the being kind of critical of your performances and things like that, but you were a kid. And one of the things that you did such a great job at as, is being the vessel for the viewer. I mean, it was really, especially in Invaders from Mars, you know, you are the avatar that we get to experience the situation from. And you're so believable. You're so natural with it. So you, I think you were great. Well, thanks. I, you know, I, I look at it and I think, I could have done better. I could have done better. But I guess, you know, hey, I... We did it. Yeah. We did it and it worked out. And and the neat thing about it is the fact that in, I don't know, two, 2000, I don't know, 2003, something like that, somewhere at that point, uh, a gentleman back in, 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 uh, in New York convinced me to come and do an autograph show. And I had turned down hundreds of those invitations. And so I finally went and my wife was not feeling good for some reason that time. So I took my youngest son and uh, we went and we got there and we came in and uh, it was, uh, they had a deal in, in Manhattan uh, and the show was there. And so we came in, came into the hotel room or hotel lobby. And uh, there was some 
a group of older peoples across the lobby from us. And uh, all of a sudden, one of them looked up and said, there he is, there he is, that's him. And I'm looking and all of a sudden, it was like somebody opened the door to the geriatric ward and here they came. And it was their walkers and everything. <laughs> and I'm looking at my son and going, do we run? What do we do? <laughs> So they came and they got the, I autographed stuff for them. Yeah. We're going up the elevator, going to our room. My son says, see, dad, I told you, you know, <laughs> they haven't forgotten you. <laughs> no, they have. Do you, have you done a lot of those since then? A lot of the autograph sessions? I've done probably maybe you know, 10, 15 of them. Maybe a do few. You, do you like, how do you feel about it? It's, it's fun to do. It's, I mean, it's fun to talk about it. I mean, you know. Yeah. I would think that right now, with this being the 70th anniversary, uh, this would be a great time to do like a convention or you know, do a panel where you talk to people and they can sit in front of the audience. I've done, uh, you know, a few things now. Uh, one I did with, uh, I don't know if you know him or not. His name is Rob Ward, and he has a word on Westerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a, a deal about Joel McRae on that one. Uh, we've done, uh, of course, with this uh, promotion uh, for the for the film or the restoration, we've done quite a few of these mm -hmm. and things like that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's getting and it's it's fun to do. It's fun to do, I mean, and most of the time, people are very good, like you are. You, and you keep me, you know, you you guide me down the road because, hey, I tell you, I'm getting older, and you start to forget where you where you want to go with certain things. Well, it's a pleasure for me. I'm gonna I'm winding down. This is really my last question. I'm curious, you know, on the 70th anniversary of this movie, it's been 70 years. It's still scary. It's still really powerful. Why do you think this movie is as relevant today as it was? Maybe more relevant than it was when it was first made. Uh, because all of a sudden now uh, there are people who are saying, yes, hey, I've seen a UFO. Okay, and now all of a sudden all of this stuff is starting to come out about the pilots seeing certain things and, and we're now, you know, and <laughs> Chinese <laughs> balloons flying over the United States and, yeah. and a lot of stuff like that. And yeah, you know, it, hey, it could be, and I, to, to, to this day, and, and um, I saw a UFO when I was like 14 years old, coming, uh, walking down the street, going to my friend's house, uh, walked by a gentleman that he, uh, he rented out uh, his, he had a fleet of big, uh, Cadillac studio cars, we and and he, you know, and so he was out there polishing one of his cars, and I came walking by and said hello to him, and and all of a sudden we both looked up and we saw this cigar-shaped uh, unit out in, in in the sky, and it was moving along pretty good, and all of a sudden it just did a ninety-degree turn, just zip straight up, and then it went away. And we both looked at each other and said, did you see that? That was not an airplane. You know, they can't do those things. 
And so uh, that was my my one little visual that I saw. Um, and yeah, you know, now all of a sudden everybody is, it's becoming, it's becoming to the point where people now believe that maybe there is something out there besides just us. And, and, and it's, when you think about, it, you look at the whole universe and you go, hey, you know, we may be just this little portion way over here, mm -hmm. way over here, maybe someone else has tried something else over here. And, you know, and I, I have a deep religious background, you know, I uh, don't mention it very often, but the fact that, uh, you know, I joined the Mormon church or the, you know, uh, when I was, I don't know, younger, uh, in like my first, well, I guess eight years after I was married, my wife and I joined and my, my children are, are, are raised in the church. And, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, we have a father in heaven and we do. Uh, and why would we be just so special, you know, that we're the only ones? There could be other people too. So, yeah, so it's relevant, you know, and the invaders from Mars, and they, they may not be coming from Mars, but who knows where they're coming from. Sir, this has been an incredible honor for me. Thank you so much for your time and uh, your wonderful answers. I appreciate it. Well, good. I mean, listen, I appreciate you, you know, wanting to, to hear this. <laughs> it's good. Thank you. Jimmy Hunt saw a UFO. I was not, so I was expecting an answer. I, my question was essentially like, why is this movie still relevant 70 years later? And it does come up like, well, there was a Chinese spy plane, a Chinese spy balloon floating over the United States. Um, that is like, that's kind of what I was expecting, but he's like, no, he saw a UFO. That's why it's relevant. Cause he thinks there's something out there. Fascinating to me. Last thing I expected out of this conversation. So I had a blast with this one. You guys know what a huge fan of Hollywood and Hollywood history. I am specifically Hollywood history, like the roots of Hollywood, the thing that's, uh, that built what we love now, you know, the, the, the thirties, the forties, the fifties, classic Hollywood. And it doesn't get more classic than invaders from Mars. I want to shout this out one more time. It's a gorgeous restoration. I have done a full review for the new uh, 4k edition which has some great special features. Uh, so I'll link to that and I'll link to where you can purchase uh, Invaders from Mars in the description of this episode. Uh, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. We're having conversations like this one each and every week. Every seven days, there's a new episode of the Serial at Midnight podcast with really interesting guests. So I don't want you to miss anything. I want you to share this with whoever you can. Help get the word out about the Serial at Midnight podcast. And uh, I will see you again in seven days. Guys, thanks so much. Take care. Until next time, I will catch you later.